Welcome to episode 39 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre. On Stageworthy, I might talk one-on-one with an actor, director, playwright, or producer, or I might get a group of people together to talk about a specific aspect of theatre in Canada. If you'd like to be a guest on Stageworthy or just want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. Aaron Jan is an award-winning Chinese-Canadian playwright, director, and founding member of Filament Incubator. Aaron recently directed two shows in this past summer's Toronto Fringe, Rowing and Silk Bath. If you enjoy the podcast, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use and consider leaving a comment or rating. First off, like, are you? Do you have something in summer works, or are you just no, going no, no, to no. like I, see it? I got. I've. I'm. Uh, I have a pass, so mm-hmm. I'm seeing a bunch of okay. shows because I never see shows at summer works. I'm mm-hmm. always working, so yeah. this is my first real year doing it. I've been really disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, what? What? Uh, what is? What is your primary role in theater? I'm a director and playwright. Okay, and sometimes producer. And sometimes producer. Well, you know, we are all producer by producers by because because we have to be right. Exactly. That's that's the important thing. So. Um, what is your what is your theater background? Um, I went to York. Tell mm-hmm. my Richard Bone. Ah, well, yeah, yes, 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 of course. Uh, yeah, I went to York. Um, mm-hmm. Was at Ryerson for a bit. I just finished a training program with Factory and direction new work. Mm-hmm. I'm undergoing a three to five year mentorship with Neely Aquino in direction. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, uh, I've been doing fridges for the past seven. Oh my God, twenty since twenty twelve. Um, yeah, it's Hamilton Braves, Hamilton born. Mm-hmm. Now living in this city for fun reasons. Um, well, I mean, we all. I mean. Fun reasons. I mean, we all have to have to go somewhere. Exactly. Right? I also find the. I mean, I heard this year was really different, but I find the community there quite toxic. In in Hamilton. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, but this year I hear was very different. The like, fringe. Yeah, or... the fringe. Okay. Like, I hear the fringe vibe. The fringe. I never really find the fringe a toxic environment. Mm. I find the local theater scene to be quite toxic. To be honest. Okay. Now. I want to make sure that you're aware. We are recording now. So oh, we are to... recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so, fine. I've, I've okay, okay. I've, said, I've to... said this on many podcasts. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna talk some shit, then I want to make sure that you know that like totally, I hit yeah. play a little while ago. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing. Okay, my thing about Hamilton. Yeah. Is Hamilton's theater scene could use some proper theater criticism I agree I totally agree there's one there's one critic in Hamilton it's Gary Smith who's the one that like is actually critical about things but the problem is he's from a different generation hardly ever like I literally okay first off he reviewed maybe five of the French oh which isn't theater. helpful that's not helpful um, like if Kelly pops by the French but generally generally every show mm-hmm. got a good review yeah and I was talking to a couple of people not everybody because I think that some people maybe like the fact that they're getting a good review. Yeah. But if you always get a good review, then your good review means nothing. Yeah. You know? What they need is, like, somebody to actually call them out and totally. say, this was not good, this is why, or I did yeah. not like this because because X. Mm-hmm. Instead, there is nothing to challenge them. No. There's no, no challenge, so you don't have to strive. Yeah. Because you will be considered a success because you got good reviews. Yeah, and that's one of the things that kind of weirds me about the city, too. I listened to your podcast a few weeks ago, actually, okay. about the comps. 
And that that bugs me too. Um, I mean, like, yeah, the witch, the witch. The... Um, there's a there's a there's a culture in Hamilton, um, as of the theater community. Oh, the you, you mean about about like if somebody was to be, like, I don't know. I'm sorry, I've done so many of these. I yeah. have to refresh my memory of what we were talking. Uh, you talk. I think like uh, there's an interview about like how the artists in Hamilton were talking about how important it is that they see shows for free, um, or something. Some 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 podcast. I don't know who you. It, someone someone else. Someone you know, said there was this, like this word culture in the city. Here's 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 my thing. I fringe. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is important that artists see theater for free, but there's a specific mm-hmm. reason for that during fringe. Sure. That is number one. It. It uh, it increases the closeness of the fringe family, sure, which is that. your most important thing. Yeah. Well, one of the most important things. But also, if I see something, mm-hmm. I will recommend it. Not only am I going to yeah. shout it out, I'm not going to shout out something I have not seen. Oh, I don't do that either. And, but if I have seen it and I like it, I'm going to shout it out. But also, mm-hmm. I have been in this situation when I'm yeah. talking to somebody in a line mm-hmm. and I'm saying... Um, would you come and see my show? And yeah. they say, oh, I, I'm not available at that time. And I say, well, when are you available? Oh, okay, here's what's playing at that time. I've seen this show. It's yeah. really good. I'm selling other people's shows. Mm-hmm. Whether artists should, like, as a right, be able to see other people's shows for free outside of Fringe? Fuck it. No. Yeah. Because half of the time, our audience is other artists. So, yeah, like, it's like uh... we have to make a living at this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I'm just, I don't know. There's, there's, because... One of the things that really bothered me, um, and this is, this is a bothering thing, maybe we can get something positive soon, but um, when Claire stepped into the fringe, Claire Callan, you know Claire Callan? I don't, actually. She was not... Uh, oh, she the, wasn't around this year. This year, she was on Matt Leib, so yes. the interim director was Jessica Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. Uh, Claire really turned the fringe around, uh, because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what she did was, um, she increased it in sales significantly mm-hmm. since Brian Morton um, was there, but what she did that was really interesting was um, she abolished... Artists used to have a lanyard around their neck, mm-hmm. and you could just show that lanyard and get into shows, no questions asked. Right. She got rid of that, and that got so much criticism, which you I know, thought was like, hmm. Interestingly, that is the more, like, the that lanyard thing, that is, first off, that would, that would be the only fringe that I know of that does that. Yeah, I know. Um, like, just being able to show up and get into a show for free, that takes the control over how many comps I'm offering out of my hands right? as an artist. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely applaud, and I can, number one, I understand why she would have taken flack for that, mm-hmm. but it was a very necessary move. Definitely. I, do, I don't know. I, when, when I do comps, it's a, it's a strategic thing. Like, um, when I'm looking at the festival, it's like, oh shit, I have a noon matinee mm. on, a, on a Wednesday. I'm starting to think of the day that sucks. A hump day matinee. That's when I'm doing a lot of for free. But I think, like, Especially with Hamilton, um, something that really bothered me was that, um, like, I, I always make a habit of playing for shows. Right. It's just, it's just a luxury to have, because I, I'm just able to do that. Um, and I understand a lot of people are in that financial mm-hmm. situation. But I think that, like, there, because I know, I know a lot of people um, in the city um, who will not see shows unless they get in for free. They will refuse to see shows <laughs> unless they get in for free. And I know that, like, that happened to my friend Michael Cross for Dirty Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you see him seeing Dirty Girl? I didn't get to. It was at, it was, first off, it was at, at staircase. staircase, which was a hike, and if I'm trying to fly her exactly. this line and this line, and I go, I have to make the trick to... to it's a waste of time. It, it's a long journey. Um, mm. go, but go on. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I guess my, my resounding issue with the city... Um, and I understand people are calling it like a, a developing theater capital, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, is that there's a culture of artists 
not paying for shows and not supporting each other's work. Mm. Well, I understand that's a fringe thing, um, and I understand why that's valuable at a fringe. I find it does carry over to the rest of the year. Not the not mm. getting it for free, but then they don't become avid patrons of the theater. And also going back to the criticism, the criticism, right? right. Um, I, I do the fringe so I can make money. That's yeah. I mean, like the work, the work is valuable. The work is work. valuable, but we all we we, need to make we do we do the fringe for two things: get the work seen, mm-hmm. to do more work, yes, and to make money. Yeah, I want to at least break even, yeah. so my cast can survive. Yeah, that in the city, like um, pay for beer, pay for food. The the interesting thing that uh, about um, those those like for me, I had a standing a standing five password comps at the door because the password. Yes. You find passwords in fringes. Oh yeah, it's Toronto doesn't. Maybe they've started to do we, it. They do do passwords. Do, yeah. do it, but they didn't for a while, and it was new for me when I went to Montreal. But every other fringe I went to was doing it, mm-hmm. and so I had a standing five standby comps. Yeah, that's uh, great. And but I said, if you want to be on the guest list, you ask me. Yeah, and I'll put you on. But I never had more than like three people. Interesting, yeah. But it was, so I don't, and I don't mind. I want to know if you're there. Yeah. I don't mind if you use one of the standby comps. Mm-hmm. Because I firmly believe that we sell each other. Yeah, I buy that um, too. And so, I mean, I don't care. I, 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 my last show, I still had comps because I, maybe they can't sell me, but Fair. it's still, yeah. I saw your show mm-hmm. on your comp. You're coming to my show. That's just, yeah. that's just how it works. Um, but, I mean, from what I can see, I mean, as somebody who is kind of an interloper in, in Montreal, yeah. but and I only spent fringe there, and I, mm-hmm. but I talked to a lot of people, and it's it's that that whole mm-hmm. burgeoning and growing theater scene, yeah, where it is, it's an adolescent scene, and mm-hmm. it is it is growing, and the things that it needs are. I mean, number one, there needs to be some actual criticism. Yeah, I, I, I buy that. Um, I agree. And when that criticism starts, then the cream will rise. Yeah. And people will be challenged in a way that they maybe aren't. Mm. But the one thing that I will say is that my fringe experience in Hamilton was close to my Montreal experience in terms, in terms of warmth. Yeah. In terms of the fringe family. Mm-hmm. In terms of a, a bunch of things. So... I have to say that it was a really good experience. Totally. The things that I am saying about Fringe as, or Hamilton as its quote-unquote needs, I think are, are kind of undeniable, but mm-hmm. they are the product of a new a new scene that's yeah. like becoming what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. It's interesting because I think like a lot of factors happened this year that really helped it. Last year was kind of a bitter, angry year mm. for the Fringe because of Panamania. There was a fucking heat wave that passed through the city. Wait, the, the we had a heat wave again. Like our last mm. weekend, the 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 I think it was the Friday, the Thursday or Friday was so hot. I felt like the audiences suffered. Yeah. Oh, did like, you find your just, sales like I I thought that my sales dropped shit. a little bit. But wow. I mean, you you can't fight the weather. No, you Panamania can't. would have been. Uh, I, now was Panamania stuff that was going on in Hamilton at the it same time. It was growing in Hamilton. Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah. So and it was tricky because like mm-hmm. I found also like our sales in general were very strong last year, mm-hmm. whereas um, like 2014 everyone was selling incredibly well, and this year everyone everyone seemed most people seemed to be doing incredibly yeah, we, well. I mean, we did we did we did all right. I mean, mm-hmm. there were only a few shows that sold out, and yeah. from what I could tell, the shows that sold out for the most part were local shows, yeah. but. 
that is not unusual in a fringe scene. Of course, yeah. I mean, if you look, if you look at the fringe cultures in different places, mm-hmm. the um, um, in in Toronto, yeah, the audience is more interested in people that come from here. Totally. And yeah. so those are the shows that are going to sell out because we have names that we look to. There are other shows that will catch on after time. Sure. But for that first weekend, a local show is mm-hmm. going to sell out over, over a later one. So it's the same sort of thing in, in oh, yeah. Hamilton. The yeah. shows that sold out were by locals who've been working there for years. Yeah, I, I found I had an advantage when I used to theater in Hamilton because I was mm-hmm. a local. Mm-hmm. I'd have a greater advantage when the cast was local. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I was bringing over a cast, like we wouldn't sell as well. You know, the other thing is that I, I did watch people... I stayed in Hamilton for the for the whole festival. Because cool. I firmly believe that if you're going to be a part of a fringe, be a part of that fringe. Definitely, yeah. And there were people who who um, sort of would come in for their show, perform their show, and then go back There's to... There's no... Why would you do that? That's well, like I mean, antithetical to the nature of the fringe or a festival. It, it, well, I mean, it could be, but it depends on what's important to you. If yeah. just doing the work is important to you, then that's then that's enough. But mm-hmm. if you are not seeing now, first of all, Hamilton is a place that wants you to love it. Yeah. So in order to love it, it has to see you loving it. Mm-hmm. So and that's just the city, right? Yeah. That's the city. Because I'm not going to go. You know, you you the city wants is knows what it's becoming. Yeah. What it wants to become and wants to be that. If you just roll in, you're not giving a shit about the city. Yeah. And if, if all you care about is just doing your show, that's fine. But you have to talk to people about your show. You totally. have to be seen talking about to people yeah. about your show. And I think that helps mm-hmm. if you are out there being seen, being a part of it. Totally. But it, like, just to show up, I think that hurts. Yeah. I think that hurts you as somebody promoting your show because Absolutely. people see that you're not they don't think a part of it. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I try to see 30 shows mm-hmm. at Fringes a year. Jesus! So. Yeah, I go hard. Oh, I man. go really fucking hard. See... This was this year was my first ever solo performance. Ah, I heard it was really so, solid. I'm sorry, thank I missed you, it, man. Thank you. Um, I so the first few days I just had to get through my show. Yeah. For the first day I thought I'm going to see a show maybe two hours before, but I was freaking out so much it was, it's, it's that hard. I couldn't because I was yeah. going to throw up or something. It's like a, a a ritual thing. I know. Like I had two shows in the Toronto Fringe this year. Until they opened, I couldn't see anything. Mm. After they opened, I was like, yes, I'm seeing shows. What were the shows that you uh, I did Silk Bath at the Tarragon Main. Okay, yeah. Um, and rowing in a be- in a basement in Kensington Market. Oh, jeez. So okay. I had two. Um, funny thing, I did rowing in Hamilton. Got fucking torn apart. People fucking hated it. Did pretty much the same show in this city. People loved it, and I sold. You know, the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, I have, I have there are people I know mm. who tour every year. Yeah. And they will take a show... They will go in from Montreal and they'll fucking love it. And they'll bring it to Toronto and they'll fucking love it. And they'll take it to, to Winnipeg and it'll be crickets. Yeah, it's weird. You don't know because mm. every city is different. Yeah. It's rough though. When you mm. walk in, you do two cities and you're like, fuck, we this. got this, we got yeah. this. And then you walk in and, and you're like, oh, don't got it. Don't got it. That's what I love about the Fringe too. It's kind of like, I mean, I, I've been watching a lot of Hamilton, that musical lately. Mm, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. always talk about legacy. <clears throat> like, your legacy is irrelevant at festivals, which I, which I love. Like, if you produce... Unless you're, like, one of these invincible touring companies. Well, I mean, let, let, I mean look, if, if, if you are... If you have a history of proven work, if you are... Yeah. If you're Peter and Chris, if you are Jem Rolls, if you are yeah. um, Nancy Kenny, if you are mm-hmm. uh, 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 Cameron Moore, you yeah. can go and you have this... this people know that you do... Good work. Yeah. And you can walk in like 
Peter and Chris, mm -hmm. that name, that name sells. Oh, yeah. But that's a name that sells because of years and years, years and years of excellence, of, of excellence right? Yeah. And those people who sell that well have earned it. Mm. Um, but it is... So those are the few people who can like go from city yeah. to city and do fine. But you cannot rest on your laurels. Exactly. Fringe will not let you do that. And that's what I love about the festival. Because yeah. like, every year you're just going in raw, essentially. Mm. I remember like we won Best of Hamilton Fringe back in 2012. Mm. And we were like, oh, we're great. And then we went to Toronto and got killed in the next year. And went to Hamilton with that show also and got murdered. So it was yeah. such a good, humbling experience, especially as a young artist. Like, when yeah. you find success out of the gate, getting kicked down in your second year was amazing, because then you're like, no, I didn't do this, and I'm paying for it. You've got to figure out, in that sort of situation, why. Yeah, exactly. Why did it not work this second time? Yeah. Um, and then it becomes a matter of, um, you know, was it that, like, for example, were you too confident when you started off? Um, like, were you, like, here's, like, that's the, that'd be the first question I ask. If I killed at Hamilton and I come to Toronto and I die, was I too was I too confident that I didn't put enough in to that 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 start? Did I? Well, going you know, I guess talking about twenty twelve, like yeah. looking back on that, we're jumping all over the place. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, I think that was a really lucky year for us because mm. that was my first year doing the Fringe. Mm -hmm. um, I had this half dance, half physical theater monologue show. One half mm -hmm. was dance, the other mm -hmm. half was like physical theater dialogue, and we we were the best selling show in the festival. I was. The youngest person to ever win mm. Best of Fringe. I was flyering. Yeah. No one else yeah, was yeah. flyering. It was an off year for the Fringe because they, at that time, they had just lost a, a relationship with Theater Aquarius. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Something happened where they fucked it up. Um, and uh, it, it was like a down year for them. And mm -hmm. we were a bunch of kids that nobody had heard about yeah. um, selling incredibly well. Yeah. And this was like two years after I'd gotten kicked out of Ryerson Theater School. Mm. So it was just like, that was such a good thing to happen but it also made me get complacent for 2013 of course it did of course it because did because then it made me think that like oh anything I produce will be great um, which yeah. kills me that no, murders me did. of course it did and you know the funny thing is is there's a certain it's like fuck each fringe is its mm. own thing so you have to walk in and you know what each year of a fringe is its own thing you don't even know but you sort of have to walk in just sort of like and get your bearings and just know I got to put everything into this one, and you can at no time kick back and say, I got this. Yeah, and I think that's something that I love about the Fringe is it keeps you humble as an artist, mm. and keeps you like gracious, and keeps you a part of the community. I know that's the one thing I regret in 2013's, when I tried in 2013, I didn't flyer, I didn't mm. talk to artists at the town, I didn't see anyone, mm -hmm. but when I was back in 2015, I was like, no, I'm going to meet as many people as possible, because yeah. like... I don't understand people who send the island people you talk about. They go yeah. and they do their show, they leave. They leave. That that bothers me because it's like it's a festival. You're part of a fucking festival. Yeah. We get as artists, even if we don't get into shows for free. We get discounts for free. Yeah, I can buy a discounted pass at Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, you bet I'm going to see thirty shows. It's the the interesting thing for me mm -hmm. is is that um, uh, I'm losing my train of thought. That's okay. As I start to talk, it's there. Yep. Nope. It's gone. Oh, 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 whatever, oh, oh, whatever. Oh, oh. So I don't remember what I was going to say. That's super embarrassing. But all right. Um, I think my thought was around. Um, yeah. No, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, it's gone. That, it's it it's, took a walk. It's it took dead. a walk. It'll come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of in terms of oh, you know what? It, it there's uh, it was the the fact that when you are in a fringe, if yes. you are not flyering. You are not doing well unless you are unless you are a show that has a lot of things going for it. Like, right, but Can yeah. Baby didn't flyer, but they sold it. Can Baby Can Baby was a, one of those. Well, 
Can Baby was one. Well, first off, the the winner of the the Toronto Fringe playwriting contest yes. usually does well. And it was. Oh, did you see it? I didn't get to see it. Oh, it was so one of those good. I didn't get to see. Uh, Jess Jess Moss. I've known her for years, Fuck. and like kudos to her because everybody who oh sees that God. says this show is ready for a professional it's, run right now. Phil, I've um, never seen a show that's used the factory main space so well. Mm. Because, like, I did a show there um, in 2015, and I I don't know how to fucking use that space. And, like, I've never seen a show that could actually control that space Mm. so well. Because it's it's such a difficult space. It's 44 feet wide. It's 12 feet deep. You're performing on a a fashion show catwalk. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I don't don't know who directed it, but whoever directed it, she's amazing. Mm. Like, Mm. ah. But, you know, the idea of having to flyer Mm -hmm. is a democratizing and humbling experience. I love it. Uh, the fact that, that if you do not go walk up to people and talk about your show, your show dies. Definitely. Definitely. Which is the thing that scares me the most because I'm shitty at that stuff. Oh, yeah, And it yeah. freaks me the fuck out. What's your pitch? Like, what Oh, jeez. Okay, so um, I would, you know, after the kind of tell you about my show, the pitch was it's a story about an atheist who finds out that he's been chosen by God to deliver his new, his, his new commandment. Boom. Right. Done. One sentence. There's, yeah. there's two reactions. Yeah. Majority of people laugh. They're my people. They're yes. coming. There's a couple, a few people where all they hear is God, and they hand it back, and they're like, "We'll hand you back." Those oh fuck yeah! I had oh that. I had God! That. I had that. Of course, there are also people. Can I tell you about my show? No. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. We're going. We're going. That's fine. Because then yeah. you just see like you just weed them out. You're like, yeah. no, that's not my demographic. Yeah. I know with like with Silk Bath this year, um, the people we approached in the houses were minorities. Yeah. Because the show was about immigrants competing mm-hmm. in a series of reality game show competitions into a country mm-hmm. um, with rowing I learned this the hard way in Hamilton I approach millennials right. in lines I was mm-hmm. like this is my demographic I know who you are yeah. but I think it's, it's always important to do that offering can yeah. I pitch you and say no just move down the lines like, well you have to yeah exactly you have to because if you if you launch into your pitch before they, they, so they, they will turn they will turn you out they will just tune you out they don't yeah. you know and I've seen people do that and you if you Basically, put people off with the first words out of your mouth. Totally, they're not coming to see your show. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how good your pitch is. Yeah. Um, but it's the, the whole. You cannot become too big for your britches if you still have to walk up to people mm-hmm. and tell them about your show. Yeah, and that's again, that's my favorite part of the fringe. Yeah. I guess I I don't know. Like the whole summer works thing, it's not a flyering festival, and that mm. that throws me off a little bit because then like. I feel it's a little insider. People. I have not. I have not been involved in a summer works fe- season since it was a first come first serve festival. Yeah, because it was response to the fringe, the right? The '90s, 90s. when because you know when most a lot of fringes when they start they come they become first first come first serve. Hamilton was until recently. Yes, and you know when Edmonton started, it was a first come first. Holy serve. shit! Like, way back when Edmonton started, it was a, like that. That was a long time ago, but it was a thing. So a lot of fringes do that at the beginning until they have enough that they can do the lottery. Yeah. But, um, I, that, so I haven't really been involved in a summer work since then. And we still flyered back then. So I don't know what the culture of yeah, summer works is right now. And maybe like, I don't know, maybe it's just that something that doesn't, maybe that's something that's like, that's great. And I, I just, I, I like, I like how scrappy the fringe is. Mm-hmm. And that's what always excites me. Yeah. I think they called it, um... It's Christmas in the summer. Oh, like fuck. I mean, I know so many people that that their response to fringes. This is my Christmas. This is yeah. this is my this is this is my. I get to go out and I get to see stuff. All of my all of the people in theater in Toronto in indie theater are bringing me gifts, right? right now, you know, uh, and it's 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 really exciting because it's like 
you get to meet people, you talk about your show, yeah. everyone's really accessible. I, I just find that, like, you can have a conversation with anyone. Yeah. They want to talk to you because yeah. they want to find out what's good. Yeah. My favorite part is discovering shows. Yeah. That, like, like, I took a chance on this show this year in Toronto called False Start. Mm-hmm. It's a show about two miscarriages, football, because I was like, okay, whatever. And I was blown away. Mm. And I hate St. Vlad's. Right. And I was there, and I was like, this is the best thing I've seen all festival. Listen, most people hate St. Vlad's merely because it's a refrigerator. Oh, yeah. And the I sightlines mean, are god-awful. The sightlines are terrible, but the fact that they give out blankets when you go in oh, yeah, is like, is like, okay, so this is gonna, I'm gonna wrap myself up here. Um, the other thing that's that's always fun about about Fringe is mm-hmm. if you get to take it to different cities. Like you've gone Hamilton, Hamilton Toronto. Toronto. I, I want to do Winnipeg. Your Winnipeg's okay. Great. Fuck it. Like there's like night and day mm-hmm. because Winnipeg second biggest in Canada. Oh, uh, Edmonton's the biggest. Toronto's third, right? Uh, maybe third or fourth. I know, I know they're the top it's, five. It's it, they're top five, but the jump between Toronto and Winnipeg is humongous. Mm. Winnipeg, everybody knows about Fringe. It doesn't matter, does not matter who you're talking to, everybody knows about Fringe. The downtown core becomes Fringe. So the financial district becomes Fringe. And there are buskers, and there is a little market that surrounds it. There's a stage and beer tents, although the artists don't really go to the beer tents except to flyer. The artists go to a bar called the King's Head, which is where that's the place to go. Cool. Um, And basically this area... Everybody goes to, mm-hmm. and everybody knows about Fringe, and everybody's going to see shows. Yeah. So, huge, super massive, until you until you get to uh, Edmonton, which is exponentially larger mm-hmm. than those two, because it is the, as far as Canada is concerned, it is the granddaddy. It may be the oldest in North America, mm. and it is thousands of people. Like, on a Friday night, on the first Friday night, it is shoulder-to-shoulder people in the Fringe area. And yeah. it is so massive that there are people who go to Edmonton Fringe and they go for the food trucks and they go mm. for the buskers and they go for the beer tents. Yeah. And they do not realize that there's a theater component. You're, Richard told me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's an amazing, strange, wonderful thing. Yeah. I'm, all, I'm always interested in other countries' theater scenes. I mean, like, I'm kind of wary of shooting because I want to make sure that, like, I can sell in a city. This year, we were really fortunate. Like, Silk Bat really, really took off. And we were like, what? <laughs> we were so surprised. I never, I never do well in, this, in Toronto, yeah. ever. I would say, if you were thinking about touring to another city, and I would say this to you, and I would say this to anybody. Of course. Is that you have to be tireless in your promotion if you are not from there. Yeah. The example I always point to is Gem Rolls. Mm-hmm. If you have ever seen Jim Rolls at a Fringe Festival, mm. you if you were to follow him around, you would watch him be nonstop as he goes from venue to venue yeah. to venue, talks to every person in a line, goes to the Fringe tent, talks to every person in that he can, and he does not stop. And that is how he sells his shows. And you have to figure out... For example, if you go to Montreal, you will find out that there is no line. People... Mm roll up just as the show is about to start and they walk in and they go to the show so you have to get them as they come out yeah if you're a smart artist you get a password to, for the show from another artist mm. and you sit at the back and as soon as the show is over you dash outside and as they're coming out you're like pitching your show <laughs> yeah I've done that but that's the Montreal thing and then you know every other a lot of other fringes do mm. lines but Edmonton people don't line up at the venue because mm. they don't sell tickets at the venue Oh. You either buy your tickets online or they have ticket kiosks. Mm. And so it becomes really important that you are in the fringe area flyering everybody. Yeah. Um, because 
If they're in the line for the ticket kiosk, it's too late. They already know what they want to get. Mm. You can't fly a lineup because people... Well, you can't fly a lineup, but they are not... They're lining up to get in. They're not lining up to buy tickets. So they're basically just going to show up and go in. In fact, the fringe volunteers leave basically when the show starts. That's so interesting. So you don't find... There are no lineups for tickets because they're all purchased in advance. And you can become one of those people who becomes obsessed with watching your ticket sales each day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at Edmonton, it is a real-time system, so you can walk in, and people will sit there and go, refresh, refresh. That's all I did when I was home at 5 in the morning. You're like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. So, which totally changes, because I I watch people who had solid shows in, say, Winnipeg and even Calgary, which is a very small fringe, Mm -hmm. um, go to Edmonton and just become this obsessive mess of, have I sold enough yet? Have I sold enough? You know, that sort of thing. When really, I know it can, it's tempting, but if you haven't, get the fuck out there mm. and, and talk to people. Because yeah. talking to people works. Totally. Talking to people works. Yeah. What is, in terms of, of your theater background, yes. when did you decide, or when did you know that theater was something that you wanted to do? Okay. A bit of a long story, but we'll... Uh, We've we'll... got time. Good, good. I got lots of time. I got nothing to do until like 8 p.m. Well, so... we, we all, it's an hour-long podcast. Good, so good. Okay, do... okay. I'm like, this is going to be seven hours. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the big thing was I got kicked out of Ryerson Theater School because I thought I wanted to be an actor. And before thought, that. Before but, that. No, but that, I, didn't, I didn't know un, until but I something made out. you want to be an actor? Um, I guess. Uh, I just did plays at Sears and mm-hmm. we, we won awards okay. and I did a drama camp mm-hmm. when I was like a kid. But the big thing that really changed in me was, um, mm-hmm. and that really made me want to do it again, was mm-hmm. I kicked out of Ryerson, mm-hmm. and I fell in love with this dancer at Ryerson. Mm-hmm. I'm madly in love as, with as, as, as one does when you're <laughs> at theater school and there's a dance program. Yeah, and we were both like at the bottom of our classes, mm-hmm. and like um, she liked my writing, and she told me to write her a monologue mm-hmm. a day. So I wrote her a monologue a day for a while, then, mm-hmm. um, then I remember I'd, I'd written this one monologue I didn't send her about how much I really cared about mm-hmm. her. Um, my aunt had died the last weekend, and I came mm-hmm. up to drink, and I, I was talking to her, and... Um, yeah, we were just talking and shooting the shit, and she mentioned that like she was still getting about to get kicked out of the program. She should have dropped out like I did, and I was like, no, 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 no. And I was wasted at this point. I was like, no, 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 no. no. I got, I got this writing. I got this writing. I wrote you. So I gave her this monologue, uh-huh. delivered it to her, and I was like, oh fuck, I fucked up a friendship yeah, after yeah, that because yeah. like, fuck, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then she started dancing, and I was like, what the fuck? And then she started dancing again after mm-hmm. after twice, and uh, she told me that that was the first time she had danced since coming to theater school. And my writing had made her do huh. that. Okay. So that was the point where I was like, okay, I'm not yeah. an actor. Yeah. I know that. Uh-huh. Um, my writing can do stuff. Right. Um, my work can make people do stuff. They can give people inspiration, hopes, and dreams. Had you written before that? Yes. Okay. Uh, Sears Drama Festival, I, uh, I, I just, I, I would always write. I used to write novels in my okay. basement when I was like mm. six or seven. <laughs> do you remember what your first, the first time that you saw theater yeah, it was a, a little play in um, in a uh, a library mm-hmm. called uh, Line the Witch in the It was Line the Witch okay, in the Wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember I was shouting at the stage because like I knew how the book went, and I was like, "You're stupid! No, stop, <laughs> stop!" And I got in so much trouble that uh-huh. day. But like, I think that's kind of what I demand mm-hmm. of my theater now. I mm-hmm. demand. I kind of when I when I watch theater, I kind of want that kid in me mm. to be yelling, "No, stop!" or "No, do this." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. when theater doesn't do it to me, I'm fucking bored. Mm. But like that's that was my first real experience. I remember because I was so embarrassed when I left. My mom was like, "You can't do that." I was like, yeah, "But, course, yeah. but I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to." The move funny thing around. is, that, is that really smart children's theater will capitalize on the child's need to yeah. participate. 
Mm-hmm. Right? If you expect kids to just sit there and watch a thing, yeah. they are not going to do that. No. Because they are too honest for that. Exactly. And I think that's that's one of the things I'll really, I, I really remember. Just that mm-hmm. experience of feeling someone's shame as the theater, but also like <laughs> kind of exciting that like I could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the theater that excites me is the theater yeah. that, that does that to me. It makes me want to go. Uh, like when I saw Butcher last year, mm-hmm. I was like, every, in every scene I was like, no, stop. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't. Right. Like, that's that feeling of, like, grossness in your stomach. That mm-hmm. You want to do something. Mm-hmm. Like when, uh, what's that kid's name? Not Eustace. Um, the kid who, the white witch kid. The kid. Oh, Edmund. Edmund, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm like, no, no, no. Course, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. No, your family's more important than these, yeah. like, these, these Turkish delights. And yeah. that was something that, like, I don't know, that, that really, I mean, yeah, bro, I haven't really thought of it till now, but that's mm-hmm. kind of like, that's kind of my theater philosophy when I make theater. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to ha- give that feeling to an audience of, like, no, or yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you doesn't do that to me, it's just like, an audience. An audience, like a, the worst thing is a complacent audience. Right. The worst thing is an audience that is sitting back and well, if they're sitting back, they're complacent audiences. Like mm-hmm. they're not being challenged, and there's nothing that's really uh, exciting them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice theater, and fuck nice theater, because theater shouldn't be nice. Yeah. You know, um, it should challenge you. I did, and you know if you. I'm sure that if you've talked with Richard Bone, he's mentioned Keystone Theater. Oh, I saw uh, Gold Rush. Oh, ago. fuck. Okay. Yeah, so you're you're on the show. Yeah. You are growing this show. Yeah. 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 People, people don't, usually it, because I have a beard normally, people are like, I, they don't see it. And then all of a sudden the penny will drop. But like that, when we came up with doing this silent film style on stage, yeah. the audience actually is in, like you can't be a lazy audience. Right. Watch that. Because you have to pay attention. Yeah. And the, now, of course, there's also the downside that, that sometimes the audience forgets that they are allowed to laugh because we are mm-hmm. being silent. But that's okay because they're still enjoying it. But you find the audience leaning forward. Right. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I sort of, interestingly, with, with The Commandment, which was the play mm-hmm. that I just did, the, it's not about The Commandment. Yeah. It turns at a certain point. And it is like, it is a story. It's like a mystery that tells a story and then it like punches the audience in the gut mm. near the end because I built something up, but I don't tell them about it. People would say, I didn't know it was going to punch me in the gut like that. Mm. And I'm like, because, because I didn't tell you because other, if I did, it wouldn't punch you in the gut. Right. It wouldn't affect you if I said, oh yeah, and it gets serious because mm. this, you know, you've got to draw people in with whatever, totally. whatever you can. And the best part too is like, at least as a director, watching a show win or lose their audience mm. is fascinating. That's like, yeah. yeah, I remember, like, I did an apprenticeship with Luke Brown at Theater Aquarius mm-hmm. two years ago, um, which, which really helped me as a director. Um, he would always tell me, because I used to sit like, and I was like, no, as a director, sit in the back. Sit oh, yeah, the yeah, back, yeah, Sit in the worst sight lines and just watch how your audience breathes. Oh, absolutely. In. And, like, again, it's one of those obvious things, like your line, the wishes of the wardrobe thing, yeah. that, like, I never realized till then. And it was just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're, the audience, like, actually, you know, I've been involved with, like, you know, we're doing a reading of this new script. Yeah. And I guess we have to do a Q&A after, mm-hmm. but everybody hates doing the Q&A, and the writer hates doing a Q&A because he already knows what he needs to know because exactly. the audience just told him. But we have to do this Q&A, mm-hmm. and so if you don't ask the right questions to the audience, everybody's just going to tell you how they would have wrote it. Yeah, which is the worst. Yeah, the... yeah. But, I mean... The audience tells you what you need to know totally. almost every time. Yeah. And if you're able to watch them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I 
with the commandment, I went from not being able to watch the like to look at the audience at first performance. Yeah. I looked around a lot of people. Mm. You're also in Mills, right? Oh yeah, I was in Mills. Yeah, so. that's a tricky space. Oh, I loved it. It was perfect yeah. for what I was doing. But so I had to look around people in that front row did not get anything from me. But by my third performance, it was like I'm looking at this person and this person mm-hmm. and this person and you, I know your eyes are there. Like I was desperate for the people yeah. to like make a con- make contact with them and it was amazing to be able to do so. Totally. Yeah. Um so you always always been writing in some ways and then yeah. did you and you said did you cuz you used two terms about your Ryerson experience. You've said Dropped out, kicked out. Bit of both. Bit of both. Um, okay. I was first cut in my year. Mm-hmm. Um, I say kicked out because um, technically I dropped out, but mm-hmm. they told me pretty much that you won't stand a chance in the second semester. Mm-hmm. And that that really fucked with me because, like, I don't know, I'm a millennial yeah. and I'm told I'm great. Yes. So, course, but yeah. that was such a valuable experience for me because it made mm-hmm. me really hungry to do things. I got kicked out. I'm not an actor. I know that. I mm-hmm. think too much on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you can't, I mean, you, can, you need to think on stage, but you can't be thinking about things that aren't. No. And that's my problem on yeah. stage. But as a director, that's like, I have night terrors when yeah. I work on a show. Like, yeah. I'm working on one right now. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm blocking it right now. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think Ryerson was good because it, it pushed me toward that idea of like, no, you're a maker. Mm. Um, and also, like, I really valued the training I did get. Yeah. Like, I, the stuff I did in the Zone of Silence class really taught me about how scenes work. Zone of Silence is one of those things that... Um, has been growing, and yet there's a lot of people who don't who don't know it, mm-hmm. and who don't. Like, if you were to present be presented, like I would love to go back and do Zone of Silence from the beginning right now. Yeah, but it's because I know what it does. Mm-hmm. If you start it, I don't know who taught you Zone of Silence, but I was mm-hmm. taught by Peter Wilde, who was the head of acting at George Brown at the time. Mm-hmm. He passed on. I was taught by Jennifer Wigmore, who was kind of a stand standby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, um, Peter taught. Peter literally retired. The year before I got there. Yeah. And Zone of Silence, one of the things about Zone, Zone of Silence is that you don't tell, like, you don't explain what it is that you're going for. Yeah. You have to figure it out as you go. So, of course, right now, now, I would do it again because I could fucking kill that thing. Yeah. But I already know what the end result is. Totally. So, like, the experience won't be the same. Yeah. Um, it's one of those, Zone of Silence is one of those really um, awesome uh tools yeah. especially early on it'll teach you a lot definitely um yeah i, I loved I, I mean i was i was terrible i was fucking terrible at zone yeah but like i loved it i got so much out of it yeah i mean well i mean we all are all terrible at it yeah that's part of what it is mm-hmm. um eventually a few people start to excel at it but we're all fucking terrible yeah at it because we're all just starting out going like what am i supposed to do yeah and the when the answer is nothing you're like how do i do that yeah um so leaving uh theater school i mean there's two ways that that people can react to that and i've mm-hmm. seen both people leave theater school in that basically asked to leave slash kicked out. Yeah. And it's happened at most theater schools. Totally. Um, and you can either leave and um, feel like, uh, well, I guess I'm not doing theater, or you can leave with more resolve to, to solidify and figure out what yeah. it is that you want to do. It was a bit of both for me, um, because like I remember on one half, um, I... I was drinking with high school students, mm-hmm. which was really sad. But the other half, I was like, no, 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 I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I got, um, I remember, but it was really sad, too, because um, until 
I had a, I got a company started in the summer, which did pretty well. Mm-hmm. But until then, it was just like I was writing this play that I didn't know I was gonna get produced, and I would lie to my family about the show I was doing in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I go back and drink with my Ryerson friends. Right. It was like really parasitic, but also made me realize what nothing felt like. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. what it felt like to not be in it and not be constantly working on projects. Yeah. So since then, like I've never not been working. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah, we did this. We did this Emerging Artist Festival in Hamilton, the little community theater thing. We sold out all three of our nights. Nice. We were no, um, unknowns. Again, we won Best of Fringe in our first year in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And then these kind of fell apart from that point on. Well, but I mean, it was just like that that six-month period from January to June. My dad was locked in. My dad was a steel worker. Mm-hmm. He was locked in at work, so it was a really hard time for my mom. Right. Um, and I wasn't working. I was kind of depressed again. I was drinking and like making out with like 15 year olds at parties uh-huh. like I was yeah. disgusting um, but it taught me what it was like to do nothing mm-hmm. and made yeah. me hungry so like when people ask me like Aaron you're doing why are you working so much I'm like because I know what it's like to not Yeah, and I hate yeah. it but yeah getting Kitana Ryerson was probably the best and worst mm. thing that's ever happened yeah well I mean right now you can look back at, at, at what it's given you but at the time it must have been pretty oh pretty god I remember I was uh, I was dragging this um this garbage bag full of my clothes because I didn't know how to pack a suitcase. I was mm-hmm. like 18. Um, threw Young and Dundas and it was like slushing bullshit on me. Um, and I remember thinking as I dragged it to the Union Station because I didn't have enough money or a presto yeah. at the time to get to the station. I was like, I am never yeah. going to be this ill-prepared yeah, yeah, yeah. ever yeah. again. Yeah. And it was just mm. so, it was so good. I think everyone needs to fail very hard early in their career repeatedly. I think that, I mean, Failure teaches you a lot. Definitely. You know? I remember the first play. In fact, full circle back to Summerworks. The, ah. first, the first play that I ever wrote, we produced at Summerworks when it was still a first come, first come, first served. Yeah. Um, I no longer have the script. It is better that way. Oh, um, no. The one review that I got from, yeah. I think it was the star, said that the play had the impact of a feather duster. Ooh. So... It's like, and you know, we laughed about that, but you know what? It hurts. It was right. Mm-hmm. It was not good. So, and I mean, it hurt, it stung, and I didn't write for a long time after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I learned from, from I learned totally. a lot, you know, you from learn, that. Yeah. You learn from failure, and I think yeah. that's, that's the best thing. Like, if an artist only finds success... And they fail for the first time in seven years. It's just like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, it's, be- it's actually better to fail early on than it is to fail later. But still, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not. How you start fact, it's, it's better. It's better to fail when you are young and you don't mind sleeping on couches and stuff like that. Yeah, than it is when you're a lot older. But mm-hmm. it's still always valuable to. Uh, and you know, I think that's one of the things that is amazing about a fringe festival totally. is that. That whole wild card nature, that whole, mm. I don't know if this is going to work here. Yeah. Which can keep you on your toes, because otherwise, if you're not doing that, you can you can really kind of become complacent, mm-hmm. you know? And not be sure what's going to, like, you can really just sort of, like, rest on your laurels a little much, totally, you know? Yeah. Um, so what is it? What are you working on these days? I mean, aside from going to see like thirty shows at Summerworks, yeah, and thirty shows, which is a bit, which is a bit, which is a bit much. But, Crazy, you know, hey. yeah. Um, I'm, uh, well, I'm, we're, we're, I'm with a company called Film and Incubator. We're producing mm-hmm. eight plays in eight months. Okay. We're on our uh, fourth play coming out in September. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm directing the sixth show uh, mm-hmm. called Swan, uh, mm-hmm. and I wrote it. And I'm also producing a show called Tire Swing in October. Okay. I have a mystery project that I can't talk about in January. Mm-hmm. But yeah, until January, I'm pretty book solid, and I have to write another play for April. Wow, jeez. So, 
and I'm also doing stuff at Factory. Mm. Um, I'm yeah, I have a, a mentorship, which is great, so I can just like figure out and bounce ideas off Nina. Which can is I excellent. can I ask you about um, your your writing? Because you're like it seems like you're writing very quickly. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, I, I write a lot. Okay, no, it's just like just, I mean, in terms of the deadlines you're giving yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who took eight years to write his solo Everyone, show, everyone's different, though. Right? You know, I know. Yeah. It's just like, um, are you like when you finish something? Because there's some people who finish and they're like, "Yep, done, finished." Um, or do you revise? Do you? Oh, like, what's I, I, your? So what I do is I try to get a draft done. Mm-hmm. I put it to a read because mm-hmm. I find like often. If... Oh, you can't learn anything if you don't. You have can't learn anything. It's like, yeah. oh, what is this guy here? If you read it yourself, you're not going to learn anything. If you don't no. learn a thing until actors speak those words. Yep, I have a dramaturg. I have a relationship with Lucy Powell. She's mm-hmm. in Columbia for MFA dramaturgy, which is great. Um, yeah, and we just we keep running it through. Mm-hmm. Um, some shows require a lot more. Yep. Other shows do not. Um, the one I'm working on right now was like two and done which was mm-hmm. bizarre that mm-hmm. never happens and I'll I'll hear things when it's done and then yeah. I'll go back probably right 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 I mean Scott Gilbert said the best dramaturg is the audience which I agree with and I don't agree with um, um, I mean I certainly I mean I want to I want to make sure that I have dramaturg that before it goes in front of me definitely audience. yeah but the audience will teach I mean a lot of they times the audience will teach you a lot I mean if something is not working um, I mean fuck that's why people do previews of new shows right, right? So yeah like, and we don't do I mean one thing that I've you can over-workshop stuff, but I've noticed that in Canada, we're not big on the workshop. We're, like, two and done. We're, like, depends you know, on what, Depends it. on what, like, what circle you're in. Yeah. I think that... With the, with the whole Indie Unite thing, I think it's very one and done, but, mm. like... Yeah, I, I had an apprenticeship with Factory uh, this year, and, like, mm. just seeing their workshopping process. Yeah. Because it's, like, a different world for, uh, for I think, artists of color. Yeah. Um, which, I, which I'm discovering. I'm discovering that I'm not white. Oh, <laughs> I think that's... You that's know, a, this, is, this, is, this is a hard thing to realize sometimes. It is, but I think it's, it's something that, like, that I've been discovering recently in the past year. Mm-hmm. And something I've been discovering, too, essentially, about people of color in their work, is that just... I, I think with Fujen especially, that, like, they were based on development. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. But, like, I know Cat Sandler can go, done. Cat Sandler can get a show in ten days. Cat uh, Sandler also has, I mean... Cat Sandler has Tom McGee, who's yep. one of the fucking best dramaturgs you will talk yeah, to. Yeah, I worked him with rowing. He's fucking yeah. great. He's like he's really good and she's got Daniel Paget in her in her corner. Totally, yeah. Like so she has, like, a team. She has a team of people who are helping mm-hmm. her to, to make her yeah. I mean, not to diminish her talent because totally it not. is incredible. Yeah. But you know, she it's not like she's working in a vacuum. She's working with, with She's working with developing yeah. people. But like, so yeah. it, you know, but it, the the whole like development is an important part of, of any kind of process. Definitely, and I think that's something that like I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I guess the common vote that we don't do the workshop. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I've always thought about uh, workshopping as a part of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's interest it's interesting to me. Um, the reason why I set deadlines so quickly mm-hmm. is it forces me to write. Right. Um, yeah. I'm like, hey, friends, I'm gonna finish this play in 30 days. They're like, right. okay, we'll do the reading, and then it's like. Oh shit! These people booked off time for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like I trick myself into working. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh fuck. You know, I, I mean, I'm a believer in in, in deadlines because totally. I'm always writing. Yeah. I'm always writing. It's just a matter of sometimes, you know, if I don't have a deadline. Yeah. I don't have to finish this thing. It's like grants, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> like it's like oh, if I if I'm always writing, you know, I'll get to that eventually. But if there's a deadline that says on this date a thing's gonna happen, yes, then I gotta fucking write it. Yeah. But if but I don't. I don't have this. I don't have a problem with with not having ideas and not writing. I just have a problem finishing. Mm-hmm. But definitely, the like the deadline will bring will bring well like, a lot of desperation. On my out. deadline, I tell them the show is 
you're going to get a full draft. Mm-hmm. Okay. And even then, like, I remember for Swan, I was like, yeah, you're going to get a full draft on January 2nd. Uh-huh. And on January 1st, I was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, yeah. having a gun to your head, and, like, not everyone can work like this. I know, yeah. like, my bud took five years to finish. You took eight years, you said. For, for, that, for that particular play. There's other stuff that I've written that's been, that's been finished quicker. Yeah. But this particular play... It was it was very difficult. So I mean, yeah. every play takes every play a t- different amount of time. To it's be different. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know I can only write when nobody's in the house, mm. and I can't write when I direct. Like the fact that I'm doing blocking right now means right. I won't be writing until this show is done. Right. And the mystery project in January is done. I thought that when I was in Hamilton, I would be able to write when I was doing Hamilton. <laughs> I thought I said, okay, I'm going to bring notebooks. No. And then I sat down. I had like. The, after the first weekend, I was like, it's Monday. Nothing happens till 5 o'clock, so I'm going to write. And I sat down and I was like, my head is far too inside right? this play. Mm-hmm. I can't do something else. And you're in the fucking play. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know how you guys do that. Yeah. Like, writer-director, I, I can't do it, but actor-director is even more difficult. I didn't direct. I didn't direct. Sorry, no, actor-writer. Actor-writer. Because he of the problems out of that world. Well, I mean, the transition from writer to actor was, was a really difficult one. Yeah, because you know people are like, oh, geez, you wrote the play. I get those. Guess those lines are gonna be really easy to easy to learn. <laughs> no, no, because it's a different part of the brain. Yeah, I like suddenly as soon as I become an actor, like it doesn't matter that I wrote it. No. I don't remember writing those words. What the fuck does that mean? Right? Because you have to like kind of exile the writer for a while. Oh yeah, and just have him like sit and like go ice fishing and like catch it, some fish. It wasn't until I had the thing learned. Mm-hmm. That I could let the writer come back into the room, yeah, once in a while, so that we could like tweak some language here and then. But mm-hmm. until I had the, until I learned it, it was like, nope, writer, out you go, because this yeah. is this is actor time. Totally, yeah. Um, so you've got all, the, all these pro- projects on the go, yeah. Um, which one's the the first one that's coming up? Um, I'm producing. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not producing a show. My my colleague, we're a four person producing mm-hmm. team. Uh, Raw Matters, um, they're doing a show um, in September. Then I'm producing Tire Swing, which is a queer uh, ghost story set mm-hmm. in Clinton. Um, I'm directing, and I wrote Swan, which is November, which is a detective story in mm-hmm. ha- set in Hamilton. Oh my, even though, like, when, I, when, where do these things happen? Where do these plays get performed? Um, Swan is going to be at Theater Pass by Backspace. Okay. Um, the others of our season are performed in a basement in Kensington Market. Okay. Oh, an abandoned nightclub, former Club 56. Okay. 56 okay. E Kensington. Is that, is that like an actual performance space or are you guys no, gorilla, uh, gorilla we're performing? No, it. it. Uh, the guy just recently renovated it. We have a good relationship with the owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I just, I, I really enjoy doing theater not in theater spaces. Mm-hmm. Like even with a TPM back, like I'm doing the best I can to not make it yeah. a theater space. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a Disney World guy. I, I've been to Disney World five times yeah. and it's just that like, one of the things I love about Disney is they have sight lines. Mm-hmm. Like, you walk yeah. places, and the the decoration keeps going. Mm-hmm. In fact, when you look at the Hollywood Tower of Terror, it's designed in a way that if you watch it from Morocco and Epcot, it looks like it's part of the Moroccan skyline. Ah, so I'm okay. just like, there's an immersive level, and I think that's a big formative part, again, all over the board today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A formative yeah. part of my theater training <laughs> was going to Disney World well, I mean, five times. You can fucking learn a lot from Walt Disney. Oh my god. Like... like Though the, the the you can learn about presentation and you can learn totally. about uh, sight lines, you can learn about misdirection, you can learn about yeah. everything. They pump fake bread scents through the streets of the of Main Street USA, mm-hmm. so you'll buy their bread. Yeah. Like I was like, that's so smart. The way um, when a parade happens to keep the magic for kids, 
windows open on the second floor of Main Street USA, mm-hmm. and there were speakers hidden in these rooms. Like, I'm, I'm obsessed mm, with yeah. Disney because it's mm-hmm. like, to me, Disney World is like the keystone of immersive theater. Yeah. Because there's, it's so high tech, mm-hmm. there's so many tricks and gadgets. Yeah. But you're walking through things, and you're walking people perform. You're yeah. watching, like, they have a whole underground network, so Aladdin can catch a smoke break backstage yeah, yeah. and come out and be Aladdin. Yeah. Um, I think I think Disney is fucking genius. But also, I mean that that whole underground thing is so that nobody ever sees a costumed character walking to where they need to go. Yes, they just appear. Yeah. And yeah. I, when I went to Universal, I went to the Harry Potter world, which was great. Mm-hmm. I noticed that like once I was in line and I was in the sand line, I'm like, oh, this is just a soundstage. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really value about Disney. I mm. mean, I, it's I, funny I, about, about immersive theater because that makes me think there was a show uh, at Hamilton. Uh, uh, this year, and you know, I've raved about this show to pretty much everybody. I know. My ex girlfriend did that. Um, and uh, it's a uh, sneaky sneak. Y- yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Haley Pace. <laughs> you stayed her, uh, and and it was it was brilliant because mm-hmm. it was immersive and it was um, from oh, like all over the place, and it yeah. was um, like m- like there was this simple theater magic that just sort of happened mm-hmm. in this room, and it was it was amazing. Haley's a really cool theater maker because yeah. she's like, she's been around a lot. Like she yeah. went to uh, Edinburgh, got slayed in Edinburgh. She did like one a night, yeah. but she got to see all this fucking theater. Um, she went to Prague for the Quadrennial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's a self, essentially like a self-made designer. She didn't yeah. get, um, she wasn't in the production stream at York, mm. but her work was so solid that like they made her design a show. Yeah, like Haley's a genius. Yeah, she's like the 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 show that she that she presented was like one of the best things I've, I've ever seen. Yeah, blew my mind as as far as as far as Fringe, and I'm like, this is something that that you know, mm-hmm. like keep doing this because it is totally something. Um, but again, and, failure yeah. taught her a lot. Well, failure teaches like if you never fail, you never learn. Right? Exactly. Again, and back to full circle. That's another thing. What criticism is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that if you you know if you don't get good criticism, you don't you you are never going to grow because nobody will ever tell you what is quote unquote wrong with your show. Yeah, and I think that's something that like, I mean, that's going back to Hamilton. Um, it's not just the spec. It's mm-hmm. I think the view needs stronger reviewers. The View magazine. Yeah, they need reviewers with that actual theater background mm-hmm. who have a history of either theater practice or theater criticism. I really think that that um, the the whole like if the Hamilton need for for criticism, it can't happen with one publication. Like it cannot mm-hmm. be one publication or one Fair. Uh, reviewer because, quite frankly. If there's one guy who starts giving bad reviews, then a bunch of theater independent theater guys are going to be like, "Well, they don't get to come to my show anymore." Um, yeah, but I mean, really, if if you can get a good review from everybody else and this guy shits on your stuff, you probably don't want him to come to your show. But then, mm. what you need is like a sh- complete shift in the way the media works, yeah, and where they bring everybody everybody brings in reviewers that can be strong and can give like good criticism. So the question, the follow-up question is, because I've been in Circle in Hamilton, yeah. we've talked about this for hours, how do you do that? Well, that is the question. How do you do that? Yeah. First off, again, if you look at the weekly paper, you bring in, you bring in, you have to, like, basically bring a staff that knows theater. Which is not right? happening right now. You need, bring a staff that can think critically about theater. Even yeah. if they don't, right now I think people are so worried in Hamilton about being boosters. Mm-hmm. People in Hamilton want to like art is the new steel in Hamilton, and everybody wants to make sure that they are building up the art. Mm-hmm. And it's all—it's almost like uh, 
there's a, a fear that if you shit on it, if you say that it's bad, then the whole house of cards will fall down, yeah. and that and that suddenly it will be your fault that art is no longer the new steel. Mm-hmm. But instead, because you're not going to shit over everything, because there is a lot of good work that's happening there. Yeah. But there's also a lot of work that needs work. Yeah. It, I'm. Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting too. Um, seeing the fringe culture. I read an essay about it ages ago. Um, the fringe culture versus the culture of the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know people who try to make any productions outside of the fringe serving mm-hmm. house, they don't sell. Scott well, Gilbert, I mean, Scott Gilbert barely sells. In the that thing city. is, the thing is that the fringe is a particular thing because the advantage to fringe, as far as an audience is concerned, number one, it's only an hour. Number two, it's only ten dollars. Yeah. Plus so, sorry. Plus the button. <laughs> plus the button. But fuck. I mean, if you go to the Toronto Fringe, you're probably going to buy it. Like pay five dollars for the for the fucking button anyway, so who yeah, cares, yeah. right? But if like you're risking virtually nothing, I mean, even if you include the button, you go to see one show, fifteen dollars. So what? Yeah, it's only an hour. So if it's bad, mm-hmm. it's just an hour, right? But if you're gonna make it like I don't know a Saturday night or a Friday night, and yeah. you're gonna pay anywhere from thirty, forty, eighty dollars mm-hmm. to go and see a show, mm-hmm. you are not gonna risk it. Yeah. Well, my question then to follow it up too is, what's the indie scene in Hamilton? I don't know. I've been doing theater there for well four or five years. I still don't know. Um, I think like that, that's, that was the thing that really frustrated me about the city, and maybe it'll change because like I think like I Rose think... and Michael are there. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe maybe may, maybe it'll change, but like I think I do think that there are people who are making theater there and who are uh, you've got you've got the Pearl Company, which is a great space, and you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are spaces that that and there are people who are making work, yeah, and uh, they're making good work, and I think that, that if they continue to do so, they're going to build up the theater scene outside of Fringe because there are people who are, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're putting stuff together and they're making stuff happen. Um, but again, this isn't something that happens overnight. Whether yeah. or not it's the mature, maturation of the the criticism, the theater scene criticism, mm-hmm. whether it's the development of uh, the indie theater scene. Removing itself from the amateur theater scene—that's the problem. Is, but you know what? That's something that can only happen over time. Yeah. It can't happen overnight. So mm-hmm. eventually, that separation will happen, and then there will be spaces to support that, and there will be people who are, who are like, "I will go and see that work because it is exciting and it is totally. it is different." Because one of the things that every theater is struggling with is the Mm -hmm. aging of their audience and how to get the new audience out. But there are some people who are doing some very good work, such as the the guy who did Dirty Girl. Yeah. uh, Michael. Michael. um, Crosturbator. He's like, he's, the work that he was doing was bringing millennials out, bringing, Mm -hmm. bringing people out who wouldn't normally go to see theater. Yeah. And so there, it, it is possible to bring them to theater. And mm-hmm. so, oh, really? The indie scene can do that in a way that the big professional scene cannot. Well, Theater Aquarius, their audience, they, they've said it on record, yeah. that like, they're in a perilous financial situation because their house is too big for their stage. Yeah. Um, so they have to produce musicals that will sell to people with money. Of course they do. And they have a gun to their head. Of course they do. But I mean, every, like, if you are not, if you are not able to bring in Hamilton or Book of Mormon or... Or, or Matilda or whatever mm-hmm. or once you have to do specific shows that that the people who already want to see theater are going to see yeah because you because people will not bend over backwards to go and see mm-hmm. the, the those shows and they won't scrape together what they need to make okay. it happen but the indie scene can do something that that, that, that that somebody like a theater Aquarius can't because mm-hmm. 
they would be able to to produce theater that can take a bit more of a risk. Yeah. It can be for people who don't have all of that money. I guess just after doing theater in five years, I'm I'm still waiting. And that's the thing that, like, that's why I left the city. But, you know, the thing is that, that yes, you're still waiting, but um, there's, there's, there's two sides to this. Yeah. Yeah, five years in terms of the maturation of the theater scene is nothing. Yeah. Um... Five years in a in, in a in a in a city where there are some serious growing pains as mm-hmm. far as that that theater community is because yeah. right now you've got Aquarius and then you've got the amateur th- scene which is developing into uh, its own indie th- scene but that's still in mm-hmm. process. The other side is that that you can I, you can also just try to make it happen, yeah. which not you that takes sometimes you need a break from trying to make a thing happen Mm -hmm. you know so maybe you know and you learn you come to toronto you learn and then maybe you go back or maybe you're like i don't even know but you know Mm -hmm. who knows what what the future holds and who really knows i i often think in terms of hamilton like it's changing and it's changing fast Mm -hmm. um and it's becoming i think there's going to come a time when Mm -hmm. the theater scene in toronto goes how can we be that yeah, which is hard to believe right now, but I do think mm-hmm. that it's going to happen. That 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 theater people in Toronto are going to be like, how do I want to go there? Yeah, well, like it's cheaper there. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, for now. Well, yeah, for now, Claire's there, Marillo's there. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting for sure. I just I I think the community just got to they have to get together and, mm-hmm. and do stuff, not just sit in circles and talk well, about it. Well, yeah, you do have to do stuff, and, and I think that's that's the issue that I had with the city because like I remember. Um, this whole incubator thing, mm-hmm. getting eight companies together and doing eight plays in eight months, mm-hmm. like 36 p, thirty one p in yeah. New York. I was trying to get the going in Hamilton for two years, and everyone was like, "No, let's wait." And I was like, "No, now, yeah. now." And it's just that it's just a different mentality. I it think is that, a different like, mentality. But Rose is there. Rose Hopkins is there. Mm-hmm. Michael is there, and I think those two alone, they just gotta get some fucking color there. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's I was on a panel for diversity. I know we're going way off the rails again, but like. And we're all probably yeah, in time. Yeah. Just, just a little bit, but I mean, it's a podcast. So who fucking cares? Yeah, you can come um, down. Yeah, it's just that, like, it's white people there. And it's just, like, that's fine. But I was on a diversity panel, right? And it was, I was the only person of color there. Well, you know, well, that's like, you know, having a, a, a panel about gender equality and it's all, it's all dudes. Oh, my God. But, I mean, I'm going, like, literally, I'm trying to think of where the people of color were at Fringe this year. I was there. And was Hamilton there. Fringe. Oh, Hamilton Fringe? They weren't. Um, Julius Cho was in a little show there. Oh, there's uh, uh, probably the closest. Othello Moore. Othello Moore. But she didn't um, write it. Well, Esther, Esther's colored, actually, so that, that does count. Um, but yeah, see, it's like, it's tricky. Um, and but, then, but then you can't, I mean, can you, man- like, you can try to manufacture it. What but, do you mean? Well, you have to, like, like, for example, if I'm writing something, uh, maybe I write, this is a role for a black actor, this is a role for an Asian actor. Yeah. Right? I do that. Um, and then we have to hunt for that, that person. I don't know. There because are. my experience, I know they're there. They have to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, are the people who are writing for Fringe and creating for Fringe and Hamilton, uh, for the most part, I mean, there are exceptions, obviously, just not writing for those people, not inviting those people in, do they not feel welcome? Um, in, well, in that scene? Going, going back to this, because I, I just did a show with an all-Asian cast mm-hmm. that was Chinese-spoken. Um, in order to get people of color out to auditions, you have to seek them out, because when a person of color reads an audition call, 
they'll know it's not for them. Right. Immediately. Like, look at the fucking Great Wall movie. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, fuck, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, like, yeah. I think it's just something in the arts that, like, makers have to be conscious of. If you want a diverse cast, you can't just put out a call. You have to contact people like Neely Aquino, um, mm-hmm. people like Marjorie Chan, David yeah. Yee, um, Philip Agingo. Where are these actors? And you message them personally to come to your auditions, yeah. and they will show up. Yeah. Like, it's, it's it, they aren't, like, albatrosses flying around. No, 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 yeah. They will yeah. show up, but you have to go that extra mile. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, think, I think that's just something that, like, it's not an issue in Hamilton right now because the scene is almost entirely Caucasian. Mm-hmm. But like, it's an issue here. I I think that like, I think that it's a thing that probably should be an issue. It should totally. Oh my god! Because again, you're only talking to uh, a part of your audience, and you're not talking to all of your potential audience. Yeah. Diversity is one of those things where, and I mean, I'm a privileged white white heterosexual <laughs> male. So it's I I, off, I sometimes feel like a fraud when it, if I ha, if I ever talk that's about that's totally this, fine because yeah. um, I think it's important that we see more color on the stage because I think it's important that our stages reflect what we see outside Absolutely. our doors yeah um, but I have been guilty of not specifically writing a character and saying this is a black character but here's because the thing, I though. know that if I don't do that. When it gets into artistic director's hand, mm-hmm. that it is highly likely that that artistic director is a, also a white uh, heterosexual male yeah. who is going to see all of the characters that I wrote as white heterosexuals. Yeah, it's but yeah, it, it's tr- it's tricky. Like I don't, I don't really know how to solve that. Well, the way you solve that, you program more eighties program more work from people of color, so then the stage becomes more diverse, and then you can get true colorblind casting. It's true. Now here's an interesting thing. Yes, um, because it. There, there are ways that you can encourage certain things. The, ha- the Montreal Fringe, for example, is 50-50 English. French, French. yes. Um, and that is part of their mandate. They have their French program and they have the English program because it's Quebec. Hmm. Um, you could, as, a, as, as an organization, uh, if you were a Fringe Festival, um, you could... Uh, there are ways that you could, that you could encourage... Uh, diversity. Toronto Festival, the culture yeah. of the diverse artists. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that you like. Why not do that? Yeah. You can. You can make that happen. I mean, that's pretty new thing for the for the Toronto Fringe. I think it's three three years old. That's and that's new. Very new. And that's very new. So and I mean Hamilton is a few years behind other Fringe festivals. Totally. Um, but mm-hmm. there's there are opportunities to lead. Exactly, you know? and I think that that's something that like something that even though I might not be a fan of logging some more works. Most of the shows I see are diverse there. Mm. Most there, shows like, that, but then mm. that is part of you have a curation, curation. You have the curation and the curation says we want mm-hmm. important plays yeah. with diverse casts. Yeah, right. So of course there's more diversity because it is curated. Mm. Well, I, again, I don't know how you solve the diversity problem. Well, I mean, if yeah. you, if you knew, if I knew, I'd still be there. If you knew, you'd still be there and you'd be making it happen. Yeah. I, Man, it's it's hard. It is hard. It's hard. Like there are no, there aren't easy answers. If there are easy like, answers, like we'd all be well, rolling around in mud here. If right there were easy answers, it would be done already. Exactly. So. Yeah. So I think that's like that's an interesting thing uh, for me because one of my friends did um, a diversity report card mm-hmm. from the French. Mm-hmm. Um, he went around and just saw all the uh, all the artists of color, and it was like even in Toronto, it was it was rough. But I think especially with um, Factory having their first successful season ever since mm-hmm. Ken got fired. Mm-hmm. Um, and having actors of color on stages, um, I think that will really change the game because 
you have a theater run by a woman of color, mm-hmm. a brown woman, um, selling incredibly well. Yeah. Um, the show that sold the most Banana Boys, yeah. all Asian cast, they sold out their theater for almost all mm-hmm. of their shows. That's never happened in a long time at Factory. Like, what? You know, the, the interesting thing is, and you know what? I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's one of those, uh, now it's a cultural touchstone. It's about to go on TV. Kim's Convenience was theater that was presented and sold to an audience that had not seen itself on stage Right? Before. Yeah. At Soul Pepper, they went out and got people who don't go to theater mm. to go to theater yes. because yes because it was a story they knew mm-hmm. but like see that's the thing they did the exorcism of outreach yes they I was, did I was talking to Ian's Choi about this um, two years ago and he mentioned how they how did he sell cams like how do you sell out and he was like you know what we did they were like we didn't fly her I'm like okay because I'm going to play her in contest. they went to Korean churches every mm. Sunday mm. and said we're doing this show and all the Koreans were like oh fuck that's about me yeah like it's all and flyering, going back yeah. to flyering, full circle again. It's about going that extra step and seeing like where's my. I mean, the interesting thing. I mean, you were saying about Cam Baby not having to having to flyer. Kim's convenience didn't have to flyer again. It won the it won yeah. the, the playwriting contest from day one. That play had a line that you couldn't get into. They had done the work. I had to line up two mm-hmm. hours before that show to get tickets to that show Amazing. in Fringe. So and they're going to Broadway. I, they're, yeah, they're going to New York. They're on TV. Yeah, they're on TV. So they're I mean, fine. Again, again, that's you can criticize Toronto Fringe for a couple of things, and one of them is its constant seeking of the next Kim's Convenience, the next Drowsy Chaperone, totally. the next to kink in my hair. Yeah, um, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm comfort again. Kim's is like a comforting thing, which is nice. Of course, my yeah. story matters. But yeah, I, I, I'm excited. That's the that's I think the one thing to take away from all this oh, yeah. slagging in this podcast. I'm I'm really optimistic um, just for the future of POCs, the future of young people doing theater mm-hmm. in general, and I'm optimistic even for this city I just shit on. Hamilton, I'm very optimistic for it because I think mm-hmm. there are people there who are hungry. I keep telling Michael, he's like, I want to go to Toronto. I'm like, no, you stay there. And he's like, yeah, because he's dedicated to staying in that city mm-hmm. and making things. Rose is dedicated to making things in that city. And I think between those two and the new people that Allure is going to build, um, the Bastel girls are coming back um, to... Uh, Frostbites. Frostbites, yeah. And they're such a good... Did you see see that? Yeah. I mean, I think it needs some dramaturgy, but, like, in general, I was really impressed by what they had made by themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is they didn't have a director. What? They didn't have a director. That's insane! No, I I knew as soon as I said I was going to blow your mind. Because because they did that on their own. They they were just so so clean. So if they had a director... Mm -hmm. They will make something. I mean, Bathtub Girls is is an amazing thing. It's solid. It's, it's really, really solid, solid piece of theater. It's short, but I didn't. I didn't, I didn't mind that it was no, short. I was like, you did everything you do, and yeah. you got out. Yeah. So it's it's like it. It was an amazing piece. So. But like going back to Hamilton, then that's the energy the city needs. Because like you, yeah. they were flyering. Lovely people, yeah. so from at the end of the show, like talked us in the lobby. Yeah. They shout out shows. They interact on social media. Mm-hmm. Like the city needs more people. Like those two girls, because mm-hmm. they're making work that's edgy and ballsy, but they're not pretentious about it. Yeah, they're yeah. like, we know what our show is, but we're here to have a good time, and like, fuck, yeah. like to me, they are like they're the spirit that I wish I had when I was in mm-hmm. Hamilton. As mm-hmm. old man Jan sitting on his chair, <laughs> I wish I was more like those two young girls. Yes, but yeah, um, I I think that like that's the spirit a lot of festivals need. That mm-hmm. like people very friendly making cutting edge work. Yes. 
Alright. Yes. I think we'll I think I think we'll, we'll, we'll fucking no, we, no fuck. We will uh, we will stop there. That's thank you so much thank for coming you. out.